Go ahead and turn to John chapter 8. We're going to be continuing our sermon series based on the word surrender. Uh, We've been going through this for several weeks now. um, And I hope it's been blessing you and challenging you as much as it has been for me and myself and what God is doing in my life. Um, But today we're talking about um, guilt, surrendering guilt. And guilt is something that we all experience, right? I, I don't have to have you raise your hand. I know that at some point in our lives we've all have dealt with some type of guilt or some type of shame. And the best way um, to, to see and describe what it looks like and feels like to feel guilt and to be guilty is to look at a dog. Okay, how many of you are dog lovers? Raise your hand. I used to not be a dog lover. Okay, my mom always had these little annoying poodles. They barked at their shadow. They were dumb. I would leave the room and come back and they would bark at me like they never knew me. Right. Um, But I am now a dog lover. I love my dog. And I I mean, it's like our our little kid. Right. That's it's weird. But that's what it is. Okay, if you're a dog lover, you understand. Right. But if you catch a dog doing something bad, they show it instantly. Right. For example, when Ollie was a little puppy, um, he would chew up his pee pad. Right. We would come home and it's in his kennel. Right. And it's all chewed up and we know it's it's his fault. There's no one else in the kennel but him. And we would come home and go, Ollie, did you do that? And he's his little tail tucked under his legs and he looked down and he instantly curled into a ball waiting for a butt whooping. But looking at me with those big puppy dog eyes. Right. So that's what it's that's what it feels like. You know, you did it. You can't hide from it. You are guilty. Right. And it's always fun to point out guilt in dogs. Um, and even others, but it hurts when it's us and ourselves that, st- that struggle with guilt, right? And so today we're talking about what Jesus has to say about our guilt and our shame um, and how we can surrender that guilt. Because um, guilt can destroy you. You guys know that? Um, guilt is something that you can carry for a lifetime. Um, and I know some of you guys struggle with this. So let's pray. I want to take this seriously and offer it up to God and have him speak to us today. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for being here, God. We feel your presence. We felt you during worship, God. And Lord, we're praying that you would make yourself even more known right now, Father, as we look into your scripture, God. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that is struggling with guilt, whether it's guilt from sin unconfessed, God, I pray that you give them the strength and courage to confess it to you, God. Whether it's guilt of of past sins that they've already been forgiven of, God, I pray that you remind them that you have taken care of it. Um, God, I pray that um, you just reveal yourself to us in a mighty way. Spirit, fill me with your power and speak through me. Um, Lord, I pray, um, challenge us, God. Let us feel your love. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and turn in John chapter 8, and we'll just kind of keep your finger there. We're going to be kind of jumping around, but what is guilt? Okay, the true definition of guilt is feeling bad um, or a bad feeling caused by knowing or thinking that you have done something bad or wrong. Okay, Um, in the Christian world, know this, even not, not even in the Christian world, just in general, what follows guilt is always going to be shame. Guilt Shame follows guilt, just like the sun follows the moon and the moon follows the sun, right? It's one, it goes hand in hand, and both of them together are the two two tools that the enemy tries to use against you. 
is your guilt and your shame. And, and really, guilt is feeling bad over something you've done. Shame is feeling bad over who you are. You guys with me on that? And so, um, why do we experience guilt? Why do we experience guilt and shame? The first reason why we experience guilt is because of our sin. Just like shame follows guilt, guilt usually follows sin in your life. And, and to be honest, most of the time that guilt is coming from an unconfessed or a, 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 a sin that you haven't repented from yet. Right? One of the Spirit's job uh, is to convict us of our sin. So sometimes sin isn't bad, right? Or sometimes, sorry, let me take that back. Sometimes guilt isn't bad. Sin is always bad. Sometimes guilt isn't bad because the Spirit's job is to tell you, hey, you're not living up to God's standard. Right? And we know that God's standard and sin is anything outside of God's perfect standard. God's standard is perfect. It's holy. It's not good. It's not being a good old boy or a good old girl. God's standard is perfection. Period. And why is that? Because God is a perfect God. God is a holy God. God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And his standard reflects who he is. He's perfect in all of his ways. In all of his plans. In all of his might. God is perfect. So his standard is perfect. And when we fail to live up to God's standard, we feel the guilt from it. When we sin and we live outside of God's standard, we feel the guilt and the shame that comes from that. Right? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and He has placed eternity into man's heart. Right? And that tells us that the, the Bible tells us that we were created by a perfect God to dwell in a perfect world and live in perfection. But what happened? Man, we messed it up. Right? I, I was blessed enough to go on a mission trip in Costa Rica. Several times, actually, and, and the guy that lives there, he's a, he's a local, he's a believer. Uh, we always connect with him. His name is Abner. He's one of, one of my good friends. He cha- everything that man does reflects the gospel. Everything. He prays over his flowers in his garden, right? This man is a follower of Jesus to the core of his body. And he was teaching me how to surf. We had to get up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning to go out and surf to get the big waves, right? And I'm not a good surfer, so I really just go out there and get beat up by the ocean. Uh, for several hours, right? Um, but there's a certain point, if you paddle out far enough, you get over the wave break and it's real calm and peaceful. Right behind you is full-blown chaos, right? Those waves are going. But you get to a point and you just sit on the surfboard. And I remember he said, hey, Donnie, I'm going to go in uh, to shore. Uh, you can stay out here if you want. Don't die. And I said, okay, I'll try not to. And he said, spend some time with the Lord. And I'll never forget this. I was out there. It was about uh, almost 6 o'clock in the morning. And this was a time where I felt God's presence. Um, I was out there. I'm seeing fish all around me. Who, who, I don't know what else was under there. I didn't want to know. Um, but the sun was coming up. And the sun's reflection on the ocean. Man, it looked like there were two suns at the same time. It was crazy. And it's the colors that came up on that Pacific coast. Um, and I, I said, God, you're perfect. Look how perfect your creation is, God. And I, I'll never forget. I felt God say, Donnie, yeah, this is awesome. But it's flawed. The sin has wrecked this creation. But Tony, just wait till you see your new home. 
And I remember praying, God, let a shark come and get me right now. I'm ready to go, right? And it was awesome. And, but God said, Donnie, just wait till you see what I have in store for you. Guys, sin has destroyed that perfection that God created this world to be. Adam and Eve, they, it, 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 it's, it's destroyed. And so now we live and dwell in a wrecked, wicked, sinful world. But we weren't meant for that. Even though we live in this broken world, we have eternity placed on our hearts. And what that means is that everyone will feel guilty of living outside of God's standard. I don't care if you believe in God or you don't, right? We, we feel guilty um, for our sins. Some people lower that standard. We see that a lot today, right? We say, hey, we don't like to feel guilty. So what we're going to do is we're going to lower the standard so that I can live how I want to live. I don't have to go to church anymore because my standard's lower. I don't have to follow the Bible because the Bible, they're going to lower that standard. And I'm going to do what makes me feel good and never do something that makes me feel guilty. Do we see that today in 2018? Absolutely. And some people, this is what I love, they go, I don't have a standard. And so I, I don't feel guilty because I don't have a standard. That's my, that's, I don't have a standard. But what they don't understand is when they say that, that's a standard. Not having a standard is a standard. So they're just running in circles, right? But we all have God and his eternity and his perfection stamped onto our hearts. And until you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're always going to feel like you're missing something. Because God has his fingerprint right on your heart. And perfection, man, we were made to dwell in God's perfection. So we feel guilty because of sin. And sometimes you feel guilt and shame because somebody uses it against you. Um, that's called a guilt trip. Everyone, anyone experience a guilt trip? Anyone good at making someone feel guilty and, and doing a guilt trip on someone? It was like my grandma, my grandma. Who's seen the movie Waterboy? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Uh-huh. One of my favorite movies, Forgive Me, Lord, right? My grandma was like the water boy, right? Praise God, she was a godly woman. She was a saint. But when it came to skateboarding, she goes, that's the devil, right? Um, but she, she taught me in the ways of the Lord. But as she got older, right, she got, she got in her late 80s, she would do things like this. She'd go, oh, boy, I sure am thirsty. I, I wish I had a glass of water right now. I wish I was young and be able just to get up and go get me a drink, right? And so sometimes you experience guilt because somebody is trying to guilt you into doing something for them, right? Um, and and that's, that's bad. I'm sorry that sometimes you guys feel that. Um, and another way um, that some people feel guilt is because some type of situation that's happened to them or maybe to somebody else and it's made you feel guilty. Um, and sometimes that's good. For example, when you see somebody in poverty, and it makes you question, why, why do I get to go home and, and I get to sleep in my house and I get to eat whatever I want and there's people around the world that are starving? And, and it's good guilt. That's a good guilt if you do something about it, right? That's a good type of guilt. But on the other side of that, there's things, and I want to be sensitive to this, but sometimes death can make us feel guilty. Uh, why did I live? Why am I still here? And my loved one has passed on. Right, um, Travis Barker, he's a drummer. Him and his manager and DJ and a couple of his buddies, man, they were flying from one event to another and the plane failed and he was the only one to walk out. And he said for years, man, he battled with that guilt. Why am I still here? 
Um, and sometimes we experience that. Sometimes um, in my own life, some of the things that I feel guilty about is being blessed the way I've been blessed. Man, I'm from a place, Modesto, California. Some of you know about it. I'm from a little town called Empire, which is almost worse than Modesto, which, by the way, is the top third um, most dangerous places in California to live at this point. And I've always had the guilt of why have I been blessed with opportunities to go to college and go on mission trips and do the things that I've been blessed to be able to do while my friends are still there struggling. And so we feel guilt sometimes with stuff that we don't even do, but something that happens to us. But know that when we feel these types of guilt, these are attacks straight from the devil. Straight from the devil. The devil is trying to get you to question the fact that God knows what he is doing in your life. And if the devil can get you to question God, then he gets victory. But what you need to understand is that the devil has no victory. He only has the victory that you give him. And so when you feel this guilt, no, it's from the Lord. Um, John 10, 10 says the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. See what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying, uh, he's trying to get you to feel guilt and shame and know this, that Jesus did not come for you to feel guilt and shame. Do you believe that? That wasn't in Jesus's plan to make you feel guilty and full of shame. He came to give you life and life abundantly. So if you're feeling or living in your guilt or if you're living in shame, know that you're not, um, you're not enjoying that joy and that love and that freedom that comes with knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And until you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you won't experience that abundant life. The devil will continue to pump you with guilt and pump you with shame, and Jesus is there trying to offer you life. That's good, right? That's good. Know that Jesus wants nothing more than for you to experience him and his love. And this morning, all we sang about was how good God's grace is. I love that. God's grace. So what do we do with our guilt? What do we do with our shame? We're going to look at John chapter 8. And let me explain something real quick. In your Bible, you might see right above the chapter verse 8, or chapter 8. It might say something like the early manuscripts do not include uh, chapter 753, verse 53 through 8, verse 11. All that means, let me explain it real quick. Uh, we get the Bible because God inspired men to write it, right? Um, and that's in 2 Timothy. All, word, all scripture is inspired by God. Right. And so what happened is these God would inspire a man. He would have somebody write for him as he spoke. And then other people would make copies of what they wrote. They would translate it in other languages. And then these men and theologians came together and said, hey, let's put them all together. And now we have the Bible. Praise God. Right. How beautiful is that? Um, and so when it says that these early manuscripts do not include this little section, they're just saying that they don't believe that John, the author of John, the gospel wrote this part of the section. And I, I, I believe that well. I believe that too. I don't know if John himself wrote this little section. But it doesn't take away of who Jesus is. It only paints the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And he does what he says he's going to do. So we're going to read it. And I believe that it happened. Um, most people do. Um, but regardless, we have something to learn from it. Amen? Amen. Verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and sat down and taught and he taught them. 
Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. So guys, you understand that these Pharisees, these high up men, these high and mighty self-righteous men catches this woman in adultery. I don't know how they did, but they did. And they drug her before Jesus and all of his disciples and all these men and women that came there to hear Jesus preach. And they throw her down and say, Jesus, this woman is dirty and she's a sinner. She's guilty. She's shameful. She's sleeping all around on her husband. Look at her. Look how sinful this woman is, Jesus. And, and I know this might sound harsh, but most of the time when we have some sin in our life that we're guilty of, and in need of confessing it, but we just won't, or I, I, know I just can't confess this sin, we tend to try to hide it for as long as we can. You look at Ananias and his wife, and in the book of Acts, they stole some money from the Lord, and they buried it, thinking God can't see under the dirt. God can see under your dirt. And the Bible promises that everything done in the dark will be brought to the light. This might sound harsh, but having her drawn out, drug out in front of all these people with her sin exposed and all of her guilt and all of her shame might have been the best thing for this woman. To be laid out, her sin, bare right there in front of Jesus might have been the best thing in her life. And I want you to know this. The best thing for you to do is confess your sin to Jesus. Amen. I might get emotional today. When we're feeling guilt and shame over sin that we haven't confessed to God uh, and we're trying to hide it, that's not bad guilt. And like I said earlier, that's the Holy Spirit trying to get you to realize, hey, you should probably stop doing that. Hey, you should probably get focused on Jesus. Hey, you should probably reconnect with Christ, abide back into Jesus and confess that sin because the Holy Spirit's job is to, is to, to make you convicted of your sin. That's the Spirit's job, and you're fighting the Spirit when you're saying, no, I'm not going to confess it. Stop fighting it. God's not trying to harm you. He's trying to prune you. Amen? Amen. All right, let's move on. I'm sorry. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, and now, this is the Pharisees, now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, right? Adultery was, was uh, sin straight going to hell. I mean, you were going to die. You commit adultery, you get caught, you're getting stoned to death, right? And verse 6 says, and they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Here, here's what they really wanted. These Pharisees, Pharisees, they really just wanted to test Jesus to see what he was going to do about this guilty woman, right? They were always trying to test Jesus to get him to trip up so that they can convict him and get him killed, right? And so what happens, they say, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do? Here's this guilty woman. She's guilty. There's no, all the evidence is against her. What are you going to do with her, Jesus? And if Jesus would say, yeah, she's guilty, let's stone her, they're going to go, ha, you're a hypocrite. Remember what you said that you came here to forgive people? You're, you're condemning this one. You're a hypocrite. Let's kill Jesus. And if he would say, no, let's forgive her. They go, man, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Praise God that Jesus is a friend of sinners. 
that Jesus is a friend to the tax collectors and the lepers and those with diseases and to the low and to the poor. Thank God he's a friend of sinners like me. Thank God. What they didn't understand was that they themselves were full of sin, but they're about to find out, right? You guys know the story. Look at verse 7. They're about to find out. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Guys, I don't want you to get caught up of what Jesus wrote in the sand. There's no telling what Jesus wrote in that sand. Right. This just tells me that he's a rebel. Right. In the midst of them coming against him, he's like, let me play in the sand for a little bit. Right. Let me. And there's some people that say that he wrote each Pharisee's name down on the sand and wrote their sin next to their name. I, I believe it. There's no telling. I'll ask Jesus when I get there. But what I want you to focus on is what Jesus said. These men would not stop pushing him to condemn this woman. All the evidence. There's everything was against her. She was caught. She was guilty. She was shameful. She wasn't even hiding her sin at this point anymore. She was there. And they're saying, God, condemn him, Jesus. Condemn her. Condemn her. Condemn her. And Jesus steps back and goes, which one of you are without sin? Whoever it is, yeah, go throw your stone at her. And one by one, those stones fell to the ground. She was guilty. She was full of shame. But John 3.17 says that God didn't send Jesus in the world to condemn the world, but through him, the world might be saved. And one by one, those stones began to fall. Remember that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes to give us life and life of bunny. Those men, were, they were there to bring guilt on this woman and to get Jesus to fail um, and, and kill him as well. But they themselves were full of guilt and full of sin. Jesus turned the conviction that was on this woman and turned it against her prosecutors. He takes the sin of this woman and says, hey, wait, look at your own life for a second. Which one of you are without sin? We have no room to judge other people. If you have sin in your life, you are guilty. If you have sin in your life, the Bible tells us that the payment for you having sin in your life equals death. You're guilty. The payment, the penalty is death, but the story doesn't end here with this woman laying in her guilt and in her shame, right? It could have, right? It could, the story could have ended with this woman laying there in her guilt, knowing that she's known now as the woman who slept on her husband in her sin, but the story doesn't leave or end there. Look what he does. Look at verse 10. He says this, And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Jesus stood up. The only one without sin was standing there in front of the guilty woman. 
He had every right to pick up a stone and say, I am the perfect one. Don't look at that. I am the perfect one. He had every right to say, I am without sin because Jesus is perfect. And he had every single right to go, yes, you are guilty. You are a sinner. Here's my stone. I'm about to kill you. But Jesus said, where are they who are going to condemn you? And she confessed, Lord, they're gone. He said, just like he's saying to you today, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. The only perfect one who could throw the stone says, I do not condemn you. Repent of your sins and go. Why did Jesus do that? Why would he condemn a guilty woman for what she did and for who she was? I'll tell you what. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. God loves you. Do you understand that? God, the, the perfect creator, loves you. When he could, could have dimmed her right there, he says, no, my father loves you. I will not condemn you. Jesus didn't come here to condemn us for our sins, but because of the great love in which he loved for us, he came and paid our price on a cross. He took all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame upon himself. He was nailed to the cross and died in our place so that you may at some point in your life turn to him, repent of your sins, and follow him the rest of your days. He didn't come in the world to condemn it, but maybe through him, some might come and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. Colossians, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus not only died for your sins, he took your sins upon himself so that you could have his righteousness. Do you understand that? Ephesians 1.7 says, In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus' sacrifice allows us to be forgiven. And some of you probably feel guilty about that. Why would God forgive someone like me? How many of you heard somebody say that? Or maybe you said it yourself. Go ahead, raise your hand. That's one of the number one things I hear as I minister to people. Why would God Forgive somebody like me. I'm a sinner. I've sinned so much. I've done too many bad things. I want to read Psalms 130. Verse 4 says, If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? If God knows our sins, who could stand? Those Pharisees couldn't. They dropped their stones and walked away. But the rest of that verse says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. God doesn't forgive you because you deserve it. Let me say that. In love, you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I deserve for all those men to pick up a stone and throw it at me. Because I'm full of sin and full of guilt. You are too. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. 
He doesn't forgive you because you deserve it. He forgives you because he loves you that much. He loves you that much. He forgives you so that you become a new person and have a new life full of joy, full of peace, full of abundant blessings so that you will go and repent of your sin and live a life bringing glory to him through all aspects of your life. And so that you will live on a mission trying to share the fact that Jesus died for people. He didn't forgive you because you deserve it. He forgave you because he loves you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so some of you struggle with that. Some of you struggle. Why did my my loved one pass on and I'm still here? And I'm, I'm not sure that there's a simple answer. But I know that God has some work for you to do. God has a plan And the good news is if your loved one who passed on believed in Jesus, they are experiencing that perfection that we talked about this morning. I'm jealous. I I, I had a Sunday school teacher growing up. He said, you know, what's your your greatest image of heaven? And his image was he can jump off a skyscraper, hit the ground, and bounce up like a trampoline and just do that all day long. I imagine I get to surf and drink Red Bull forever, praising God, right? It's going to be awesome. But know this, if you're still here, it's because God is wanting you to experience the joy and the abundant life he's trying to give you. Don't let the enemy use the fact your loved one is with Jesus to stop you from experiencing his joy and peace and love. And so how can I surrender guilt and shame? This whole thing, why, okay, we know we have guilt, we know we have sin and shame in our life. How, how, can we, how can we surrender it to Jesus? And the only way to surrender your guilt and shame is through the forgiveness of your sins. That's the only way. God's grace can forgive anyone. God's grace can save anyone in it. And it's only by God's grace that we have freedom from sin. Ephesians chapter 2, the whole chapter is my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. I would get it tattooed as too, too much space, right? But he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Someone said that God's grace is his acceptance of you. And faith is your acceptance of the fact that God accepts you. Let me say that again. God's grace is his acceptance of you. Your sin, your dirt, your guilt, your shame. God's grace is he's accepting you for who you are. Faith is you accepting the fact that God loves you. And that he accepts you for who you are. Right? The woman had a choice. When all those men dropped their stones, she could have jumped back and said, Ha! Suckers! You didn't get me today. She could have looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you don't understand what you've done. I'm guilty. Condemn me. Jesus, I don't deserve it. But she didn't. She accepted the fact that Jesus is Lord and said, Lord Jesus. And accepted the fact that she was not condemned. How many of you in here today have heard somebody say, or maybe you said it yourself, I can't forgive myself of what I've done? How many of you have heard somebody say that, or you said it before? Right? Let me say this, I'm always trying to be loving because I love you guys, right? Um, Bull, 
Your problem isn't you can't forgive yourself. Your problem is a faith problem. You don't believe, you don't receive and accept God's acceptance of you. When you say that you can't forgive yourself, all you're saying is that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is not good enough, strong enough, high enough, perfect enough to forgive you of your own sin. You're putting your own sin, your own guilt, and your own shame above Jesus and what he did on the cross. So when you say, I can't be forgiven or I can't forgive myself, it's not your own problem. It's the fact that you're not trusting God enough to accept you. You're saying, God, I understand you have a plan for me, but you don't understand who I am. I'm dirty. And Jesus is saying, I died for you. When he said on the cross, it's finished, he meant it. It is finished. But you have to repent of your sin. And if you repent of your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you. The Bible says he removes your transgressions as far as the east is from the west. It's no longer in your past. God no longer sees it. All he sees when you come to Jesus is the fact that you put your faith and trust in his son. Where is your sin? You have the only way that you can surrender your guilt and your sin is to come to Jesus. If you're struggling with guilt from your past sin, turn to the cross. Remember, where is your people that's going to condemn you? Jesus said, I will not condemn you. Stop. And here's what, if you struggle with guilt that you've already repented from. Okay, some of you, I know some of you in here today, you struggle with that. You've, you've asked God to forgive you, but the guilt still comes up. The enemy's still trying to tell you that God hasn't forgiven you. This is what I want you to do. Stop praying to God to forgive you of those past sins. And start thanking him for what he did on the cross and has already forgiven you. Start thanking him. When that guilt comes up for past sins that you've already repented from, thank God that he's forgiven you. Stop praying for him. He's already done it. He's already done it. Not because you deserve it, because he loves you. Live in the freedom that comes with Jesus. If you have guilt in your life over a sin that you haven't confessed, if you're a Christian and there's a sin that you're living in and you haven't confessed it, you can't bring it out. It's like it's stuck in you. Confess that sin. That's the Holy Spirit. If you feel guilty over a sin that you haven't said, God, I'm sorry for, the Spirit's doing His job. Some of you I know struggle with, how do I know I'm actually saved? If you didn't feel guilty over your sin, you're not saved. Y'all don't understand me on that one, huh? Let me say that again. If you feel guilty, if you're a Christian, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, and you feel guilty of your sin, that means the Spirit of God is living inside of you, trying to get you to refocus on Jesus. It's when you stop feeling guilty of your sin, you need to be, you need to be a little worried. When you stop feeling guilty of the fact you're living in sin, it's when you, need to, you might want to go pray a little bit. So if you have some guilt over sin you haven't confessed, repent, confess from If you have guilt of being the one who walked away or the one who is still here, have you confessed that to God? Have you had an honest moment with God and said, God, why am I still here? I don't understand. And tell him your angers, your sadness. And I'll say this a thousand times until I'm blue in the face. You cannot surprise God by what you tell him. 
Nothing you can say that make God go, I didn't know you were struggling with that. He knows your heart. His fingerprints are all over it because he designed it with his hand. So if you're struggling with that kind of guilt, be real with God. Maybe you need to come to a point of really believing that God, the creator, has a plan for your life. And the enemy is trying to take your mission away from you. If he can get you to question God and his goodness, he's going to do it. So if you struggle with that kind of guilt, come before the Lord. And today, if you don't have a relationship with God, know that you can be set free from your guilt and sin. Know this, we are all sinners. All have fallen short. There's no righteous one, no, not one. Which means that if you are not a believer, this whole not being condemned thing, that's not for you. The Bible tells us that those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe in the name of Jesus stand condemned already. You don't have to wait for your condemnation if you're not a Christian. You're in it. But when you receive Jesus and you surrender your life to him, and you say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and God over my life, the condemnation that was waiting for you is now gone. That requires you coming to Jesus Christ. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And if you are experiencing any type of guilt that we talked about today, whether it's guilt from past sin that the enemy still tries to use against you, whether it's sin that you haven't repented from or confessed, whether it's doubting God and you feel guilty for not knowing if God is good or not, or maybe the fact that you don't know who Jesus Christ is, he's not your Lord and Savior, today is a day to make a decision for him. You need to decide if you're going to experience God's love and that life that he's trying to give you, or if you're going to continue to live in your guilt.